Hi, thanks so much for joining us with APC Chats, where we basically work to spotlight people, voices, and opinions that deserve a platform and may not often get it. That said, feel free to join us in the conversation, following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm joined by Nora de Ollas Comstock, who for many, many years has led an organization called Las Comadres. And that organization has been pivotal in my life and my career and just connecting me with my community and women that are doing incredible things and just building a sense of pride and culture and heritage as well as the meaning of what it means to be a community member and an involved community member. So Nora, this session is really whatever you want to make it and I wanted just to collect your story and to kind of hear about your journey. So I'll let you take it from here. I was born in the lower Rio Grande Valley of Texas in a small community called Raymondville, named Raymondville. And I was born to um, Oscar and, and Enriqueta de la Garza, and I was adopted by Juan and Sofia de Hoyos. And I was a gift from my biological parents to my aunt and uncle who could not have children. And it's interesting because Jack calls me his gift to the community and I keep thinking, hmm, people keep giving me away. <laughs> there must be a message here for me. But from very early on, um, I kind of, as I think about this in a psychological um, thought pattern, I think it must be, I I have 10 brothers and sisters, and yet I was an only child in the family I was adopted into. So I was both a third child and a first child. And then uh, we had a cousin whose um, mother died and my uh, um, adoptive parents adopted him as well. So I have a brother named David, a biological brother, and a cousin named David, who's my brother. So I always have to say it's brother, brother, cousin, brother. I mean, you know, my life gets complicated. Sociologists go, tell me about this again. But um, so, you know, living in Raymondville is kind of where all of this started for me. I think because somehow my physical mental being acknowledged that I was part of 10, but I was alone for Mm -hmm. like nine years before I had a cousin brother, that I always had a sense of needing more, more family. And that, that was in Raymondville, as well as when I left Raymondville, when I was actually a freshman in high school and moved to San Antonio, because my aunt, who was the first one to go to college in our family, she became a nurse, and she went to the University of Texas um, at Austin. And um, when I left there, and she said, I want you to come, because if I didn't, I'd probably have gotten pregnant and married, and I'd still be in the valley, and probably very resentful Um, but my aunt said I want you to come and my dad said no and my mom said yes and guess who won Mm -hmm. Um, I moved to San Antonio and before too long my mother came and then my father came with my brother after he graduated from high school and that started a very different life for me but nonetheless feeling like a part of me was missing I always felt that and I never understood it I dealt with being adopted, um, not because it was hurtful to me. It wasn't. I, I had people who loved. I had so many people who loved me. I hardly knew what to do with all the love that was coming my way. But there was an emotional issue tied to to not having grown up with that family that I, I really very much wanted more people around me. 
So somehow I brought all of that together and kept looking around for connection. And in addition to that, our mothers had comadres, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any when I got eventually to um, Austin, Texas. And I kept looking around and going to events that were business oriented because that's pretty much what you did around here if you didn't belong to a church. And I actually didn't belong to a church. And, and so possibly that also means something. But I kept going to business events. And at business events, you don't make friends necessarily. You make business connections because what people are there for is to sell their service or their product. And so I knew lots of people. And I ended up being on practically every board in Austin. Um, but I didn't have that connection. It was still missing for me. And so eventually uh, I, I thought, what do you do? Walk out in the middle of the street and scream, where are the Latinas? Mm-hmm. Where are we? And I really was looking for women um, because a relation, I was married or had been married. This is the, my marriage to Jack Bell is my second marriage. And um, relationships with men are a little, they're difficult when, when you're, you're married. You can have kind of, kind of relationships, but deep relationships, which is what I was looking for, it's not going to happen with a man. So, um, or it shouldn't happen. (laughs) It shouldn't happen. And many wonderful male friends. I really, really did. But you know, it's not the type where you go home with them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to go home with some commodity and I wanted her to invite me to um, her home. Um, so, again, I wanted to go out in the street and yell, where are you guys? You know, I can't find you. Um, so then uh, there actually were two attorneys, which who I will always give credit to for um, starting the network in Austin, um, who said, then there were attorneys, and they said, let's get women together to be supportive of each other, because all we know is attorneys. So it was about 50 of us in the room, and um, we started the Las Comadres Network. And... Um, it was it was a paper invitation. I got it in the mail. I really? actually got it in the mail, and then I picked it up from there. And, and well, actually, not right away because they thought it would be easy to do this work. Well, if there's any work I've done that's harder than this, I don't know what it is. Maybe taking calculus, <laughs> but um, it was um, so you know three or four gatherings, and they were like, we can't do this. This is way too much work, and we just can't keep up with it. So. Um, I said, this is something I've always wanted to do, and I actually had a television program that I had planned that scripted and all set up to go that was called, I think, Las Dias is what we called it, but it was the same concept. So I basically said, and that was under my SANA group, which is a health um, LLC that I had formed. Um, And then I just said, you know, I'll pick it up, I'll take it over, and then I put it on the Internet. So we started using Evite, we created the first Yahoo groups, we did all that kind of stuff. And that would have been, um, I think it was probably shortly after 2000. And our first group was here in Austin. And then it, nothing happened for about two years. I, I kept the comadasas going. And sometimes it was me and the hostess, and sometimes it was me and the hostess and five people. And we'd say, oh, my God, we're growing. Look at that. <laughs> and the next time, it'd be two of us again. So, But we kept it going. I kept going. I kept going. I didn't give up. That's one of the things you'll, have, you'll know about me. I don't give up. If I want to do something, I'm going to do it. It may take a long time, but I'm going to do it. And then there was an article in the newspaper on October the 8th of 2002. I remember it. And that article came out in the Statesman, and 500 people replied to that article saying, me too, I miss my culture. 
And the newspaper article basically said, building a culture club one Latina at a time. And that's pretty much the way that's come out of the screw, one Latina at a time. It wasn't necessarily me, but somebody else inviting them. So um, at 500 people replied. And so the group then started meeting in our initial gatherings for about a year were huge. I mean, we were spilling out into people's yards and every place. I mean, it was so many of us. I remember at uh, Amalia Rodriguez Mendoza's house and Marta Cotera's house, we had 140 people, you know? It was just incredible. And of course, we couldn't manage it. That was just way too many people attending. We didn't have microphones. We didn't have anything. It was just us. So we nonetheless had a wonderful time. And slowly but surely, the groups grew, grew smaller. Uh, thank God, because um, it was just way too big. And then the guys, which was really funny, some of our compadres would say, I drove by to see how many people were there, and the cars were parked for 10 blocks. So it was really like such an amazing experience for us to grow that. But then as they became more manageable, and people always said they wanted the smaller ones, that the big ones just really didn't do what we wanted. So... Um, we, when they got smaller to about 40, 50, sometimes 60, but then it became 20. And that's really much more manageable. That's really kind of where you connect, really get to connect with people and meet lots of people. Because and, and there's no requirement for membership or dues or anything like that. You don't have to attend. It's just a network. I mean, we just created an opportunity for you to come together and meet other Latinas, speak Spanish if you wanted to or not, if you didn't. You know, whatever people wanted. It didn't matter. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, are you really a Latina organization? I said, what do you mean by that? And I, I always know what they mean. Do you allow French and Italian and, you know, others that are not Portuguese, that are non-Latino? I said, honey, you want to come? You're welcome. And we ended up creating, um, it, it actually just came again out of my, everything I did for Las Comadres came out of my experience. There was no handbook. I was a pioneer in this area, mostly because I worked at computer companies and Jack was there to set up the backup systems. We had security, we had internet, we had everything we needed because he knew how to do all of this. And so eventually out of experience, I created three categories for comadres. Um, Latinas, non-Latinas married to Latinos, and Mujeres with a Corazón Latino. And the reason that I added the Corazón Latino bar, there were two reasons for that. There's lots of people who love the Latino community and they want to be a part of us. They want to share. They want to experience the warmth and the uh, dynamism of our community and they want to be a part of it. And I, the only reason I really added that was because there were people coming in who, and I saw dollar signs in their eyes. They said, I see a market here. I want to sell my product. And I thought that's reason number, you know, 100 for you to be a part of Let's Come not your primary reason. And it's your prime, if it's your primary reason, then you shouldn't be here. You know, reach this market in another way. Um, so that was kind of where we came to that part of it. And we decided no membership dues because we wanted everybody to have access. And then other people talked about, well, can't you have a level two where you have... Um, a newsletter or other uh, access to information that you could have charge for. And yeah, that's possible and that's something the board needs to make a decision about. We originally set up our bylaws to say that there would be no, no dues. And so that was pretty much it. But we started here in Austin and that newspaper article was pivotal. And from there, we uh, people started seeing it in other places, sending the information to their sister, their cousin, their mother, other friends around the country, and people started calling and emailing and saying, we'd like to be a part of this. I actually received invitation, uh, people writing to me and saying, I'd like to join the network. 
two years after that article appeared, and they said, I saved that because I wanted to be a part of Las Commodities. And two years later, after they retired, they found it in their desk. Do you and still so have the article? I do. We need to take a picture of that okay. so we can yeah. save it and put it on the website. Yeah, I still have a copy okay. of it. And um, it uh, it was actually pretty, it was like two and a half pages. And that um, they interviewed me for about 10 hours. So how they got it down to that amount of time, I don't know. But anyway, they, they did. And uh, it, it was um, it was a beautiful article, a testament to what needed to happen because Latinos were looking for that. And so then we start. I think our second city was Brownsville, and then um, San Antonio and other communities. Um, and then we had we have had up to a hundred cities that were a part of the network. Um, and I know that a lot of people are looking for the social media in order to be able to access, and it's something that needs to happen. I'm very much uh, attuned to that. But we could grow bigger. The, the, it is a challenge because you, you have to find people in the community that are willing to do the work that it takes to grow the community with no pay. And the only real recognition that you get is your name at the bottom of the email saying you're a coordinator. We haven't been able to pull off getting pictures for all our coordinators, um, which we really should because without them we wouldn't be where we are. Um, so we ended up uh, creating uh, these networks all over the country and we had about maybe 40 where we actually had comadrazos each month but it is hard to keep that work up and I think we may have 20 communities now where we're actually active. I think I can build that activity back up but it's going to take focus I'm going to have to say I'm going to do it because people are still calling me and new communities still want to come online but I know how much work it is and I try to explain to them this is not uh, it's not going to happen overnight just because you build it they will not come you have got to get out there and you've got to share the information and slowly but surely and you've got to stay consistent I mean if you don't stay consistent it will go away and um so it took you know a lot of time to do that and then we need to create evite systems how we're going to invite people you know and then actually, I believe that Evite limited the numbers of invitations you could send because of us. Because I was sending a thousand invitations, <laughs> and they were like, "No, you can't send this many." And they, you know, did it at five hundred, and then they went to three hundred, and I don't know where they are today. But we actually had arguments back and forth on email because uh, Evite wouldn't let us do that many. Oh, that sounds like a typical Latino problem. There's yeah, more right. people to invite. Yeah, <laughs> they all come to the hospital. Evite. Right. Evite case study. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How to understand the Latino community. If it's going to be a product for everybody, you have to understand how to serve it. How so. to serve it. And then Yahoo Groups, I really kind of, at, at that early time frame, I was the queen of Yahoo Groups because I knew that thing backward and forward and I could just do everything with it. Um, it, and that was where we started, and that was where I believe I kind of had to focus. That's where I lost my ability to kind of be out there staying on top of um, the new material or new programs and software that was becoming available. And then, of course, apps came along and all that other stuff, which um, we will be using, but we are not currently using. Don't you think, though, I feel like... Um with so much technology and with the pressure that people like me, you know, have placed on the organization to like, we need it to mean more and we need to get out to more people and we need to take it social and, and digitize a lot of the heart. What I'm learning now and what I see happening now is that that is all great, you know, being digital and being vocal on social and everything else. But it loses some of the heart and the intention and the original impact that you 
purposefully created, you know, not having it be 140 people at a, at a house trying to connect with mm-hmm. women and talk about issues. And I've seen everything from resumes to recipes to someone needs a home that's coming to Austin or someone needs a bed uh, or someone needs a plane ticket. I mean, you have solved, and I want to talk about that. You have mm-hmm. solved and filled so many gaps for women of all ages, from all uh, all cities, and I've seen it. And so I, I just want to make sure that that's not lost because apps are great and social media is great, and that's part of what we're trying to do to make sure that we continue to grow and mean more, especially to new generations that are coming up feeling mm-hmm. equally lost, mm-hmm. equally displaced, equally out of sorts or out of touch with their culture. But how do you maintain, and I guess this is a re- maybe a rhetorical question and maybe a not a rhetorical question, how do you maintain that heart? And what is the the new movement look like, right? Mm-hmm. Because you built a, a woman, like when we weren't talking about women's and girl movements back in 2000, it was all things technology. So you've really started a Latina movement. You've focused on Latina specific issues. So how do we retain that heart? In the digital age, is it possible? Well, I think it is, and I think it is through these uh, small, smaller gatherings. Mm-hmm. But we need to have many more. Like in Austin, we have, I try to do north, south, west, and east as well. We don't have as many commodities in the east that have offered their homes mm-hmm. yet. Uh, you did one time, Audrey. <laughs> uh, but we actually, if we had more, we would open it up more to east. But I just say, you know... Um, offer your home so that we can get together and we need to have many more gatherings and I know for a fact because people have told me that they've started their own little gatherings in their little neighborhood doing the same thing that we're doing because they can't often make it to the comadrasas mm-hmm. on the dates that we have them mm-hmm. and you know that's fine as long as they're still connected to us in whatever way works for them some people are still on Yahoo groups mm-hmm. some have gotten off and they're tied more to Facebook and whatever other social media their preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as we offer them those options for them to stay connected and as long as I'm alive I will keep Yahoo groups alive because that's that's the way I do it that's the way I communicate that is mine uh, and the other way is it maintains kind of a, a little bottleneck so I'm not so overwhelmed by all the emails from everywhere or all the social media that would come at me I, just, I can't handle that much stuff um, so through Yahoo Groups, it kind of keeps it a little bit smaller and manageable for me. Not because I want to keep anybody out. It's just I can't manage all of that. And, and that's a medium that allows me to do that. So what do you think, you know, in talking about community and in community engagement, what does it look like in five years or ten years? Like, do we still have the same needs or the same tools or resources? What is it going to look like for Nora 3.0? Well... You know, a lot depends on what happens in this country. Because mm-hmm. if we if we are more included in the mainstream, there will be less need for what we offer. It'll still be important from the cultural perspective to us, but we're involved. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the jobs. We, if our community mirrors, if, if the jobs and the high-level positions and the government opportunities and so on mirror our community, you know, it's just fabulous. We just continue to promote ability, 
you know, in doing the right job, which is what the United States has always talked about, mm-hmm. you know, that, that the best person gets a job and because you're prepared and all of that. When that happens, then we're in a different place. We really go much to a cultural and very, very interpersonal type of thing. But while our community is needing for us to step up because we're, we don't have the jobs, we don't have the visibility, we don't always have the education, and getting it is difficult because of family, because of work, because of transportation, location, so many things. As long as our community needs us in those ways, what we do is critical. We share a lot of jobs. We have to, open, we have to do more with putting those jobs on. You know, the LinkedIn, the whatever the software platforms are that allow for that. We have to do more of that. We have to do more of preparing ourselves. We have to support each other in those efforts. We have to let people know that those jobs are open. And that's one of the first things that I saw as my mission was that I knew everybody because I was on all the boards, and so I had social capital. And so what do you do with social capital when you don't use it? You sit on it and nothing happens. And I didn't want that. I wanted to use my social capital to open doors for other people. And so once I was kind of there in making a system available to others, they could use their social capital to help us. And so that's what that became all over the country. We had jobs in Washington, in LA, in Miami, in New York, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, you know, you name them. We knew the jobs and so we started sharing them and people would look at them and go, wow, that would be available to me? Yes. And so, and then helping each other. Now, I've looked for mentoring programs that, you know, to kind of model some mentoring programs. And the the Latinas that were in those positions said, I couldn't add one more thing to my plate. And it's true because everybody knows the main group of people and they're the ones that are recommended to be on all the boards, to apply for all the jobs and that sort of stuff. And they're so, the demands on their time are so great that they can't even mentor us. Mm -hmm. So we need to grow that group. We Mm -hmm. need to figure out how to support each other in just representing our communities, all of us. You know, I know that um, the um, Vietnamese community, that's a third language spoken in the Austin area. English, Spanish, Vietnamese. That's a community that needs a lot of work, a lot of support. So that I, you know, everybody needs it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm focused on Latino because I know the need. I'm part of the community. People know me, understand what I'm trying to do. But I would open a door for someone else as well. You know, it, it is in the end about helping each other as an entire community. But I do want to see more Latinas and Latinos out there because our children need to see us as role models. They don't. Right now, they don't see themselves. They go to school and they see somebody who doesn't look like them. And they think, I can't get there. There's nobody like me there. And so we really do need to focus on the mentorship as well as the money, which will help us to get via scholarships and other things to get into the programs. And um, also the recommendations. I mean, those recommendations are key, not only for school, but for jobs. What are some of the biggest success stories? Because I think from jobs or mentorship or access to resources, like you've done a lot. And I've glossed over what those look like, but what would have been some of your biggest successes? You know, it's interesting. I have a lot of testimonials that I've asked people permission to put up on the web, and I never get it done, Mm -hmm. mostly because I can't do the web, right? Mm -hmm. And that always becomes problematic when you can't do the work yourself. Um, 
and then there was so much work to do that that kind of is on the back burner. But a lot of people, well, first of all, there's a lot of people who have been benefited from emails and things that I've sent out that have never told me they did. Mm -hmm. Years later, they'll say something like, my husband got a job through Las Comadres, and if it hadn't been for that, you know, he's still working for the same company that he started out with 10 years ago, and if it hadn't been for your email, I, I don't know where we would be. Um, then there were women who told me they received scholarships. I remember one very specifically, and this was in the early years, um, I sent out, uh, and this was all done by hand. Remember this, this was brute work, you know. It was like pulling it together, putting the message together, sending it out to all the communities. And uh, she was in Houston, and she was working at uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center, and she was a Ph.D. student. One of those emails identified scholarships, and she and her... Um, um, dissertation chair agreed that that was a good thing for her to apply to and she did and she got $150,000 to help her finish her research and wow. write her dissertation. Then we've also had, I mean, I mean many people who told me about jobs and also um, I would send information about um, other programs that were available like going to Spain. The, it was a uh, um, Lideres something or other program and several of the commodities applied for them and went to Spain and uh, were part of that program um, and many others and we've helped I mean we have a book club I created a book club in 2006 um, and actually actually it was a teleconference because at that time I knew how hard it would be to start physical book clubs I mean I was already doing it with the commodities so book physical book club I couldn't take that on so we started the teleconferences and we did that because I had a young uh, woman who was working here with me, uh, a volunteer, and I gave her a book by a Latina. And she looked at it because I didn't have anything to pair her with, so I gave her the book. And she said, oh, I've never read a Latina author before, other than South American, like mm -hmm. Isabel Allende mm -hmm. and other people. She had never read a Latina. And I looked at her in shock and went, oh, my God. And then I thought, you know, Five years ago, I would have said the same thing. And at that time, I was 50. So at 45, I would be able to tell you that I hadn't read a U.S. Latina prior to that time. And I thought, what a travesty. So teleconferences were something I knew how to do. I, well, I didn't know how to do, but I figured it out and uh, started the teleconferences. And, and the early ones, which we do have in our archive, um, I didn't mute. So everybody's talking and washing dishes and whatever else you do while you're on the phone. And we were talking to the author. Our first author was uh, Sandy Barron out of uh, a Boston area or Sorry, it's, it's up in the Northeast. And uh, her book was Heiress of, of Water. And the next book was Ana Novales' book, Latina Power. And then, you know, we went on from there. And then in 2008, we actually created a physical book club with the Association of American Publishers and uh, other publishers in New York City. And that's when our physical book club started. And it was just like not easy. There were no manuals. We created the I'm sure manuals were available. They just weren't available online. So we had to create our own manual starting from scratch. And so we did that as well as a commodities handbook. I created a manual for all the stuff that I was doing and what it took to do it because I had to train coordinators. And uh, But the book club started in 2008 officially, and it's still going today. It is hard work to keep it up, but our authors tell our stories. And if we do not support them, in the beginning, who will? Until they become known for whatever reason, like Sandra Cisneros, um, nobody supports them. 
and so we needed to tell each other so that we would support them. And so that was another major aspect of the work we did, as well as um, our Texas Public Policy and Civic Engagement Program, because in, we started that in 2007. And I had been aware for a very, very long time that we were not preparing the people who needed to or wanted were interested in running for office. And also we weren't looking out there for the people who would make good candidates. So that was a program that I started here in Austin and the board helped me put that together. Um, I, however, did, I had to be the one, you know, that kept it going. Because if there isn't one person, minimally one person, things do not go on. So the Texas Public Policy and Civic Engagement Program has been a, a success. We have had several people elected, including myself, uh, which I always said I would never run for office. And talk about that. Talk yeah. about the new role that you've assumed. Um, when I decided to step back from Las Comadres, knowing that I was holding it back because I could not do the work that needed to be done to bring us current with all the social media that was out there. That was a very difficult decision for me in one way, and in, 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 it is my legacy. This is what I've done for 16 years. So it was, uh, it was hard to step away, but I knew that it needed to happen. Um, it has been difficult for it to happen. Everybody's trying to figure out. You know, it's kind of like having a, a family business, and all of a sudden you've gone into a different um, model. And it's, it's, it's a hard transition, but you know what? I think we're there. I think we're ready to move into that new transition. Um, and so I was looking around thinking, you know, I'm not dead yet. I may be 71, but I'm not dead yet. And I have a lot of energy and a lot of passion, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience. I think I can do something with it. What will it be? There's a number of new companies that I thought of starting. And I thought, do I really want to do that? I thought, no, I'm not sure. And then we were at a Comadrazo in December of um, 2015. And somebody said, you know, one of our board members uh, at Austin Community College is retiring. And uh, this is her last year. Uh, it's a six-year term. It's a long time. So she's not going to run again, and we need to find somebody else to do it. And I thought, hmm, I have a Ph.D. in community college education. I'm looking around for something to do. This might be something I should do. So I came home and asked Jack. I said, Jack, what do you think about this? And he said, as long as it doesn't interfere with the stuff that I do, go for it. And so I did. I started talking to people about my interest in it in January of 2016, and Jack was very supportive. He doesn't, he's not social. My husband does not go to things if he can help it, but he supported me. He went to everything. You know, he, he was there. He was, I mean, I was truly amazed. And his mother said, look at your husband. He's over there talking to all these people. How does he, he doesn't do that, but he did it for me. And um, another thing that I owe that fabulous husband of mine, um, and so I did it, and running a campaign is very different from teaching something you read about. And so I have lots now to share with the Texas Public Policy Program people that come in uh, in civic engagement, because what I really want is more people to run for office. And so I have a lot of personal experience to share. Austin Community College is one of the most incredible jewels that the Austin has. Not only Austin, but the eight counties that are in our service area. We have many challenges ahead of us, but uh, we're up to the task. We have an incredible um, administration, an incredible president, That's incredible. and an incredible board. I went there. Did you really? I did. I got accepted to UT on the provisional program because my SAT scores were not great. 
And I came and I was the first person among my peer set in school to leave. So I left and I landed in Austin July 3rd, 19, no, June 3rd, 1995, 99, no, 95. And um, I made the grade point average that I needed to continue with UT, but I had a D and you could only get, you know, I had like all A's and one D and that, that wasn't necessarily going to fly because if you failed, it was basically failing. Yeah. So um, UT said, no kid, sorry. You know, despite the 3.25 that I had, it, it wasn't good enough. Um, and I went to my brother and I was, you know, in the dorms at Consolving and my brother was living with my cousin because he was going to ACC. And my cousin was going to UT. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I can't go home. You know, and dad wants me to go to Trinity or San Antonio. He just didn't want me to be in Austin because at the time, and it's still like lacking in somewhat in diversity. So my dad said, you're, you're probably going to be better off in San Antonio where, you know, people look like you. I'm like, dad, like, that's not the real world. Like, how do we, mm-hmm. how are we going to thrive in organizations or institutions if we only want to go where it's safe and comfortable and everybody looks like us or it's El Paso? And so my brother took me to ACC and enrolled me. And it's like the things that your family does of just like, all right, kid. Like, and so I didn't, you know, he kind of put himself through school. Uh, we took out loans. Our parents helped us a little bit with rent, but like we, we funded our own education. So until my loans came through, I was living off of his loans and I didn't have a place to live. So he gave up his room and he slept on the floor because we didn't want to tell my parents like all the things that we were having to do. And so he gave me his bed and his bedroom set and he slept on my on my cousin's bedroom floor and it's just like the things that you do but for like a year we went to ACC together and it's still in our brother-sister relationship we're very close but it was like that one of the happiest times that we often reference because we took classes together we'd have lunch together like it was and the caliber of of thinkers and professors they inspired me you know and so I owe a lot to ACC and I'm very proud of that time oh wonderful well, I want more ACC stories, which is the reason that I want this. I want to just talk to everybody, and I want to have those in my heart. There was one professor that was teaching uh, Mexican-American history, and some someone in the class had fallen asleep, and he dropped a book on his desk. And he's like, get up and get out if you don't believe in the importance of knowing your history, because people fought to be in this chair. So if you don't believe that you have a place here or that there is a reason to study, you need to get out. He was awesome. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. It, I, I, I couldn't be happier about where I am at this time in my life because it's not just ACC. It's it's our country. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm used to being on a national level, and I'm not changing that. You know, I'm looking forward to finding challenges where not only do I support and work on the uh, Austin, Texas problems or uh, Texas problems, but national level you know, involvement in moving this forward. How do you want to do that? What do, what's next for Nora on the national scale? On a national scale, I'm really, um, there, um, there are some challenges that the Latino community faces that I would like to take on in terms of our mobility. Uh, in, in mobility, I mean uh, 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 harnessing the connection to each other. But in this new world, I'm including males, because I think another very, very important thing, I understand where women are. I understand we make less money than men. I understand all those challenges, and we have to work on them. However, our males are not finishing school. 
-hmm. They're not going into the colleges and they're not finishing. They're quitting. We're not quitters. And my son and my nephew and, you know, your future husbands and Mm -hmm. so on will not not complete their education. So the men have become, or the boys, the men and the boys have become very, very important to me along with our Latinas. And, you know, if a man speaks badly about a woman or whatever and he's a Latina, I'm going to hit him on the head, (laughs) you know, and say, your mother brought you up better than that. I know she did. And your sister didn't iron your shirts. And if she did, shame on you. Go fix it. <laughs> you know, and we just we just need to talk to each other, Audrey. Yeah. You know, we really need to, everybody needs to understand that. And so my a challenge I want to take on is kind of bringing us all together and bringing our power base to the challenges that we have. Because if we don't work together, we're doomed. And that brings up, we have another session today when we're talking about community leadership is long gone are the days of the civil rights leaders that we had that we're fortunate to have been blessed with. Mm-hmm. They weren't perfect men, they were strong men, and they right. fought for a cause. Mm-hmm. And and we're here now. And so without Cesar Chavez, without Dr. King, you know, what do we do in absence of that figurehead? And at one point, I was in a table with um, the team, the very young, smart, talented team of Otro Latino, Maria Teresa wasn't there, but it was, you know, everybody that works with there. And we were talking about Latino leadership and the fact that, you know, who are our leaders? And someone posed the, posed the question of, you know, well, you know, without a figurehead, do you really have a leader? I'm like, wait a minute. You know, here we are at a very nice hotel in D.C., suited up in our best because it's D.C. Everybody that was coming into the, to the restaurant was kind of looking at us like it almost it was probably in like we're going to take over it was like early 2007 maybe but we were going to take over and it's like I have a leader I have mentors it's my mother it's my father it's my grandmothers and so maybe I don't have some figurehead that I can have a poster on my on my wall for or my office for but like we have mentors and leaders we just don't call them that we weren't trained to call them that because (laughs) they didn't get celebrated in the news at some point but what what's wrong with that well, there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. it. However, it's a visibility issue. Okay, I mean, if if you ask me who were my role models 71 years ago, you know, as I started this um, journey, there was no one. So, who are your role models? Your parents, your father, mm-hmm. like you just said. But it's at the familial level, mm-hmm. and the visibility is at higher levels. So, if you're not visible, if there isn't a visible leader. Mm-hmm. That's it, it's a requirement of the of the way things work that you have a visible leader. However, those families and those networks are the key to our future. Don't think for one minute that that's not important, because it's that person—your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins—going to vote mm-hmm. and expressing their voice mm-hmm. and being heard. First of all, knowing their voice. They don't even know they have one. So we've got to say, you have a voice. Go express it out loud and then go vote. And when those things begin to happen, we will have leadership that rises to the top. And those leaders must be held accountable. And that's another thing not only the Latino community, the rest of the community really doesn't do. You vote for them, you bring them into positions, and then you go off to do whatever it is you do. Party, work, sleep, whatever. Okay, But you don't support them. You're not there for them. You're not saying, look, this isn't right. We need to fix it or good job. You're not doing that. And that is civic engagement. 
And civic engagement is what we don't have in these communities. And that's why the Texas Public Policy and Civic Engagement Program, not only in Texas, but in all the other states of the nation, are critical. Now, hope there's a hope out of California that also is in lots of other places, and it's a fabulous organization, and I truly love it. But we do our job differently than they do because they do lots of other things. All we focus on is candidate training and civic engagement. It's really critical, and we need to do it in all the states. But I know how hard that work is because we're not going to get paid. We're not going to get the grants and all that other stuff. So you know what? It's going to be you deciding it's important. Have you ever worked with Emily's List? Uh, way in the early years, um, when we first started the mm-hmm. Texas Public Policy Program, we sent out their training programs, and lots of our commanders took those programs. And so I think that's one of the reasons why um, I went ahead and said, that's for everybody. Mm-hmm. This is for Latinas. What we do is for Latinas. For you to talk to each other, be honest, uh, talk about what our community does, doesn't do, how difficult it is to get into the political arena. Latino males do not support us, generally speaking, in the Latino um, uh, political process. Um, What do you think that's about? It's cultural. You know, deep down, you're still thinking you know, the, the dad is the matriarch or patriarch of the family. When in essence, mama does a whole lot there and she has a lot of influence, a lot of pillow talk and lots of other type of talk. So mom has a lot to do, but moms were always willing to have dad be the one who did the discipline, who did this, who did that. And so it comes out of a lot of that stuff. I'm not going to blame the men for it, but I am going to hit him on the top of the head and say, no. Don't you think, because, you know, Nora, you could have channeled your energy 17 years ago into running for political office or becoming Austin's mayor or something along the lines, but you focused on the harder work, the more, in my mind, uh, the thankless work, Mm -hmm. the more meaningful work, because you were trying to help in very intimate ways and intimate settings. How much of where we're at with leadership is just we don't want the recognition and we want to do the work and we'll let someone else shine, but we're continuing to fix and to, you know, to, to form whatever success stories quietly, but not being out in front and center. That's a, that's a a little bit of a hard question for me. Um, but, but I think a really important question, and it may be the most important question when it comes to, um, being visible and vocal. Um, my mother wasn't. She did the behind-the-scenes work. I learned from my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, she taught me how to do so many things. The things I can do, many of them today, organizing and all that, came from my mom. Of course, that's where I learned it, and I'm really good at it. So, so was my mother. Um, and so, that's th- that's a model. That's a role model I had, mm-hmm. and so that's what I do. Women who are vocal, Latinas especially. Man, you will hear the backstabbing from all directions. Se cree mucho. Mm -hmm. Que se cree. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, you go, girl, let's Mm -hmm. be right there with you. Let's support you. Let's help you. Instead, you've got the backstabbing. So, you know, we need to stop that. And and we need to call each other on it. If you see me doing it, if you see somebody else doing it, just say, don't do that. Don't do that. And in many situations, it's not just in the political arena. You think about it for a minute. Whose products do you buy? What television programs do you watch? Every single thing we do is backed by your money, 
your time, your whatever, you go buy those products. So for the longest time, The View did not have any Latinas on it. Mm-hmm. It has one now, and it had one before that had some issues. I mean, you need to think about these things. We really do. I did not watch The View, and I told everybody, do not watch it until there is a Latina that you are happy to have there. Do not watch it because you are voting with your channel changer, and I will not watch them. And I do the same thing with many other programs. If I'm watching TV and I don't see diversity in an ad or something, I ain't buying it. And I recommend that the rest of you seriously start thinking about this. If you haven't, pay attention to what you're buying. Pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to who's paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may be that they're interested in you because of your money, but honey, make them spend it on you. Don't just give them the free ride because you watched it or you did this or you did that. Become civic. That is civic engagement, just like everything else. And so my mom did teach me that. Mm-hmm. And so that, that becomes really important. And so as a Latina, support each other. Do not let anybody backstab somebody else. If you need to talk about stuff, talk about it in another room. But when you come out in front of people, you be supportive. You, we need to make sure that we treat each other with the utmost respect. Agreed, 100%. There are organizations that started way back when, like LULAC and NCLR. What role do they have in the future? What do you see as the gaps that they fill currently versus what they need to be doing in bigger and better ways moving forward? They've been around a long time, and we owe those organizations a great debt of gratitude. Um, I am—I have been in LULAC on and off. Um, I have been involved with NCLR again on and off, and I used to go to all the conferences. They became expensive. Uh, after a while, I mean, how do you do all those mm-hmm. things? There's just way too many things to spend your money on, and if you know registration costs three hundred dollars and you know, a booth or whatever it is, is just really, really expensive. So those organizations, when their cost structure eliminates the uh, possibility for us to be a part of it, um, and, and I mean at a national level, at a local level, I think they have a small, small fees and great programs uh, at the local level. So local level, they're, they're very good. I think in helping us move toward the national level, there may be some work that needs to be done there. I can't actually address those mm-hmm. points because I haven't recently been involved mm-hmm. in them. And my, I guess my hypothesis is, is that there's a lot of great work that they're doing and that not many people know about. And if I were to ask you know, my colleagues that are 25 and younger, they don't necessarily understand mm-hmm. the history, the legacy, or the work that gets done. And so how does that, how is that an opportunity for organizations such as those? And even the ones that were involved with Las Comadres, mm-hmm. like what is the opportunity to, to right. move it forward in a, in a way that is mindful of mm-hmm. the, the generations that don't necessarily see the struggles right. or the, the reasons that these organizations started. And, and more import- importantly, a word that I hear these days a lot when I became uh, a trustee, I became aware, of course, of lots more mm-hmm. things happening in the community. <coughs> it's a program called Building Bridges. Mm-hmm. And every Friday from 9 to 10, we talk about equity, diversity, equality, fairness, all the many words do we want to talk about. And it's it brings together... Um, large, like the University of Texas, ACC, um, uh, government, um, uh, state, 
in uh, national as well as local government to talk about these issues. And I have met so many people and heard about so many programs. And that is one of my favorite things to do every Friday from 9 to 10. And it meets at the NAACP headquarters on 12th Street. And it it's an amazing thing. And I get up looking for all week long. I look forward to going really? there. Can anyone and go? Anybody can go. And it's Latinos and Asians and Africa, definitely African American. It's in AACP headquarters. These people have been doing this work for such a long time. A very long time. And it is just amazing. And there's a lot of energy around doing it. A lot of energy. And it's one of my favorites. How much of that has been renewed with this latest election cycle? In terms of the... The the conversation around equity, I feel like, is at the forefront in ways that I've never seen in my lifetime. We are still talking about the election. Mm -hmm. And to me, in terms of civic engagement, that is critically important. So it's been very positive from that perspective. Um, it's been very hurtful and very negative in many other perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so we do discuss them. We also have Jewish people, by the Mm -hmm. way, uh, who identify white and Jewish Mm -hmm. uh, and how painful it is for them to be going through this experience again. Mm -hmm. Um, So the conversation is broad, and we bring um, statisticians, I mean, people who who know the the demographics, who know the Mm -hmm. statistics, to talk about the numbers and where we are in terms of the schools and... um, the, the things that are happening with pre-K to the two-year-olds mm-hmm. and all, the, I mean, the second graders. And, and so we talk about everything. We talk about all those issues and the keynote speakers who come and share their knowledge is, is just really um, an amazing group of people who help us understand where we are and that racism is systemic. Mm-hmm. And the only way that this can change is it's in the groundwater, as I've heard people say, and we've got to change that. We've got to clean it out. So what is your hope for anyone listening? Male, female, comadres, compadres? I hope that you will find your spot, that you will figure out how you can be true to yourself and give to your community the way you were brought up to do, because I know you were. I know you were brought up to give, that you are a part of the community and you want to do that. Figure it out. And ask people for help. Reach out. You know, reach out to each other. If you see somebody doing something that you think you'd like to do, introduce yourself and say, may I buy you coffee? You know, can we have a drink of water together? (laughs) You know, whatever it is. Ask. Reach out. Become involved. Don't sit at home. Or don't just go to parties. Or don't just do whatever. Look around your community and be a part of it. Think about where you fit. Because really, without all of us being involved, this country will have greater challenges than we have today. With that, Nora, thank you so much for the work that you've done, for the work that you've started, that we can only hope to continue. And honoring your legacy. Thank you for all of your late nights and travel hours and everything you've done to put to put things in perspective for your community, to let people see more of the great work available, whether it's literature or leadership or inspiration, finding jobs, finding temporary or long-term homes. Like You've done so much, and I know it's been heavy and hard and oftentimes thankless, but I'm thanking you on behalf of anyone that you've ever touched. Like, thank you. Absolutely, and don't forget that you don't do this alone. 
My husband, my family, and all my friends that have supported me made it possible. Thank you to all of you. Thank you. Hi, thanks so much for listening to us at APC Chats. Hopefully you walk away with some additional perspective or insight that you didn't have before. That said, if you want to continue the conversation, please do so following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks so much.